Hello, testing. Are you there? Can you hear me? It is a well-documented fact that I need a haircut, so get over it. Praise God. We got quite a crowd this evening. I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm especially pleased for those of y'all who attend my Sunday school class. You are doubly blessed. Praise God. You will recognize quite a few of the scriptures that we go over because we've been studying in Hosea. So obviously Hosea has been at the forefront of my studies and at the forefront of my mind. So uh, bear with me as we go through some things that you may have already heard. But let's let God have his way because he can use these scriptures to show you new things. He can use these scriptures to show you and bring new light to them. But I'll tell you like I tell my classmates... Everything about the book of Hosea, everything throughout this is prophetic, and it has to do with the nation of Israel. Uh, it has come to pass. There's specific times throughout history that these things that we read about have come to pass concerning the nation of Israel. I leave it to much smarter men and women than me to bring that to light. I, I leave it to much smarter individuals to show you those things. But what I want to show you and what I want to discuss with you are how these scriptures can be used and applied to our lives. The Bible says, and I like to work off from the premise that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is useful for all those things that it says it's useful for, John, and rebuke and doctrine that we may be mature Christians. I also like to work off the Scripture in the New Testament that says that all these things happen to them for our edification and teaching. So regardless of the fact that this has to do with Israel, it has to do with you as well. We can take from this and apply it to our lives. So there's some really good stuff I'm going to get to in the end. I'm really excited to show you the truths that God's shown me through these scriptures at the end of this. But there's some history that we need to go through first. Now, in Hosea chapter 1... God had, as you already know the, the story, God had Hosea go and marry a prostitute to demonstrate how the nation of Israel had turned from God and was an adulterous nation. He had Hosea name his children Lo-Ruhamah and Lo-Ami, his first two children. Lo-Ruhamah means not favored, not beloved. Which is really sad because prior to that, God had told Israel they were his beloved. And Loami, Lo the second child, name was Loami. It means not my people, which is distressing because God had previously told him, you are my people. So apparently God broke his own covenant. Can that happen? Can God even do that? No, he cannot. So what must have happened? My Sunday school classmates already know the answer to this. Israel broke the covenant. God doesn't break his covenant with us, and that's encouraging to me. But like uh, Brother Mike said, we have 55 frames, so we're going to breeze through. By the end of chapter 1, he says, Okay, I'll let those that were not my people be my people. Those that were not beloved, he said, I'll call beloved. Now he went from low Ruhama to Ruhama. He went from low Ami back to Ami. And it's not because God is wishy-washy. It's not that he's flip-flop. It's because he's a great God and he loves us. And no matter how many times you've turned away from him, he's always, he said, look, now because of what you've done, you're no longer this. And then he opens up his arms. He says, come back. I love you. Isn't that the mo most amazing thing? Is as many times as I've spit in his face, as many times as I've run, and I turn right around, and he said, boy, you're in big trouble now. And then he says, but come here. I love you. Amen? That's my God. So what we're going to do is we're going to start in chapter 2, verse 1 through 2, as you can see. He says, say ye unto your brethren, Ami, and to your sisters, Ruhama. We'll stop right there. He says, encourage one another. Say to each other, you're God's people. Amen? You are God's children. He said, say to one another, Ruhamah, you are beloved. You're highly favored. God loves you. And he says, plead with your mother. Plead, for she is not my wife. Neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts. 
He says, say to your brethren, Ami, and to your sisters, Ruhama. Go to Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, says this. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling together of ourselves, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. We need to, if we are Ami, if we are the beloved, and if we are the favored, we need to be telling one another, God loves you, Wayne. Amen. We need to be telling one another, you are highly favored. God loves you. We need to, when we come together, we should do so to encourage one another because this is a love fest. Amen. We should come. Not a, Yes, we come to hear the word. Yes, we come to lift up praises to the King of glory, but we come to encourage one another. He said, say to each other, Ami and Ruhama, God loves you. Amen. You're favored. You're God's people. Go to Jeremiah 2 and verse 2. It says, he says, go. This is what he told Jeremiah. Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of your youth, the love of your espousals, when you wentest after me in the wilderness, in a land that was not sown. You say, before I had a covenant with God, before I got saved, I wasn't a good person. I was lost. I was doomed. When he says, I remember thee, the kindness of your youth. Listen, God created you innocent. Amen. Now, yet all have sinned. So how's that? Real quick, we'll, we'll hit the scriptures. You already know them, Romans 5, 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin... And so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. 519. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Here's the, here's the trick of it. When you're talking to someone, when you're trying to evangelize, when you're trying to lead someone to salvation in Christ, you've got to... Someone once said, you got to get them lost before you can get them saved. If a, a man swimming in the ocean he, or, or in the deep end of the swimming pool, he feels fine. He has no idea he's about to cramp up and drown and die. Why in the world would he cry for a life, for a life preserver? Why in the world would he cry for help? If they don't know that they're doomed for hell, why would they cry for a savior? Why do you need salvation if you're not lost? So you gotta, you've got to express to them, all have sinned. But so often people believe, you know what? I'm a good person. I know the Ten Commandments. I never do anything wrong. I've never hurt anybody. So how do you convince this person that they're lost and doomed if they don't feel they've ever done anything wrong? Well, that's where Romans 5.19 comes in. Because by the disobedience of Adam, all were made sinners. See, you're not doomed because of your sin. You're doomed because you are a sinner. And you're not a sinner because of your sin, but you sin because you are a sinner. It's the nature of the thing. Like I've said before, a cat's not a cat because it scratches and meows. It scratches and meows because it's a cat. So we're doomed because of our, our lost nature is that we were sinners. Amen? We were born that way. But let's go back one. He said, I remember the kindness of your youth, and I told you you were created innocent. But how can you be born a sinner... And yet you're also born innocent. It blows my mind. I don't understand it. John can back it up. Uh, an infant child has no clue what it's doing. It has no clue that uh, between right and wrong, it's born innocent, yet it's born in sin. I don't know. This is the best that I can come up with. Adam and Eve were created as full-grown full humans. Adam was never an infant. He was never crying in the dirt and needing to be held by his mother. Adam was formed as a full-grown human. Eve was formed as a full-grown human. And we don't know how long they were frolicking in the garden with God. But at some point, they chose to sin. At that time, as God told him, when, when they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, think about what it's called, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They ate of the knowledge of good and evil. As soon as they consumed this, their eyes were opened, and they saw their sinfulness. They saw that they were naked. 
See, here's the thing. When you were born, you were as innocent as they were when they were created. You had no knowledge. When you came to the point that you could understand good and evil, you already were a sinner. See, when you were born, you were innocent. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil had already been eaten for you. But you had to grow into the knowledge. Do you understand? They ate the fruit and you became a sinner. But you had to grow into the knowledge that they got instantaneously because they were full-grown humans. Does that make sense? So that's how you can be innocent and yet still be a sinner because you had no knowledge. Though the knowledge was stored there, it would, it would bring itself to light in your life when you got to that certain age and nobody knows what it is. But when you get to that place, you begin to understand the difference between right and wrong. Why you understand it, they ate the fruit. Do you understand what I'm saying? Does that make any sense? I always ask Billy that. Does that make sense? He usually doesn't answer me anymore because I'm asking him about stupid stuff. But either way, he said, plead to your mother. Let's get back on that. Isaiah 58, 1. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, he says, and show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Go to Jeremiah 19, 3. And say, he tells Jeremiah, Hear ye the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place, the which whosoever heareth, his ears shall tingle. He said, Jeremiah, remember he told the people of Hosea's time, through the prophet Hosea, plead with your mother. And he tells Jeremiah, hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. See, it doesn't matter if it's your mother, your father, your grandmother. It doesn't matter if it's the president. It doesn't matter if it's the king. All the way down to the lowest, poor, homeless guy in the streets of Jerusalem. He said they all are going to share in the exact same fate. Hell waits for every one of them if they don't give their life to Jesus. Every one of us who has not experienced real salvation, I don't care what your job is. I don't care how many people love you, your stature in the community. I don't care. From the king down to the gutter trash, we all can expect hell if we don't get saved. Amen? So he said, remember, plead with your mother, for she's not my wife. My goodness. This is, this is another harsh reality that we've got to consider. And so we think, how is it that God can turn away? How is it this one that said, I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you? How is it that one moment we can be his people, the next we cannot? You already said it, we left him. So he says, if we look in Isaiah 50 verse 1, he said, Where is the bill of your mother's divorcement whom I've put away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I've sold you? He said, she's not my wife. But where's her bill of divorcement? You know, in that day, if you wanted to divorce your wife for some reason, she just she wasn't uh, pitching in like she should for whatever reason. You weren't compatible for whatever reason. You say, you know what? I don't want to be married to her anymore. It's pretty simple. You write her a writ of divorce, give it to her, and send her on her way. Kind of sad, but that's the way it was. But God says, where is it? Show me the paperwork that I gave her. I didn't send her off. She split. How are you going to hang on to someone that just wants to keep leaving you? And that's the situation that God's been in with us. That's the situation that God's been in with everyone since the beginning. He said, I love you. Come to me. We come until we've had enough and we turn away. He says, she's not my wife. But in the same breath, he didn't give her a writ of divorce. She split. John can uh, talk a little bit more about that than I can. He tried desperately to hang on to his first marriage. She just split. She just left. Praise God she did. Have you met Jenny? <laughs> but that's, not, that's neither here nor there. Amen? She just left. God said, I didn't divorce her. I didn't divorce you. Finish the scripture. Behold your iniquities. Have ye sold yourselves? 
and for your transgressions is your mother put away. I didn't do it, you did. So, we're to plead with the mother. We're to plead with the kings. We're to plead with everyone. We're supposed to tell him this, and there's a sword coming. Remember, he told us, Ezekiel, if you don't tell him, their blood's on your head. And so, but we're afraid to offend them. Excuse me. But we're afraid to offend. And now I've got my scriptures all messed up. I like what Stephen said in Acts 7.51. Are you afraid to offend people? Are you afraid to tell them the truth? Think about Stephen. Look at his scripture here. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears, you always resist, resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they've slain them which showed before the coming of the just one, of whom you have now become betrayers and murderers. You think you're afraid to tell the truth? Stephen spoke up. Now, it cost him his life. I think that was probably the last things he had to say before the rocks started flying, amen? They may have already been, he already dodged a couple of them when he said that, but he was still going. <laughs> Praise God for Stephen. We've got a job to do. Plead with your mother. Plead with them. Okay. Hosea 2, 3 through 4. And we will almost be done introducing this sermon. What was that? Lest I strip her naked. He said, plead with her. Lest I strip her naked and set her as the day that she was born and make her a wilderness and set her like a dry land. Remember that. Make her a wilderness and set her like a dry land and slay her with thirst. And I will not have mercy upon her children for they'll be children of whoredoms. He said, lest I strip her naked. Luke 12, 2 and 3 says this. For there's nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whosoever you have, whatsoever you've spoken in the darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which you've spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. We talked about that in Sunday school for sure. I would rather confess my stuff to Jesus now than have it all revealed on Judgment Day. We're going to look at a couple more scriptures before we move on, and we're going to breeze through this chapter. But in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, he says, Therefore judge nothing before the time. Now listen, I can show you scriptures that says you and I are supposed to judge one another. We're supposed to be fruit inspectors, if you will. We're supposed to say that's right or that's wrong. We're not supposed to pass sentence. See, this word judge, it means don't pass sentence on someone. Don't count them up. Don't condemn them to hell because of what they've done. Because God can still turn their life around. So we're not to pass sentence on them. We can tell, yes, that is wrong. You're in sin. It may cost us our head like it did John the Baptist. But we're to do that. Amen? Now watch. He said, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come. Who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness, will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. You know, the Bible says, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. There's going to come a time. There's going to come a time, and let's read about that time. I love the scriptures. We don't have to think about what it says. We can go right there. He's got it in there for everything that we need to know. Revelation 20, 11 through 14. And I'll go quickly. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books, books, were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books. Do you see the difference? According to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to his works. The dead will be judged according to the books, which has all of their works in there. See, you and I... Watch what happens. This is, this is really good. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, still if we sin, there are these books. Everything will be accounted for. 
and you will be accountable for everything. See, here's the thing. When you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He says, those things that you've confessed before me, I've cast them as far as the east is from the west. I've cast them into the sea of forgetfulness, never to bring them up again. Does that contradict this scripture in Revelation? It does not. Because if you've confessed it, it's gone, it's over, it's not in the books. See, I'm not going to be judged by what's in the books. Because I'm not the dead that we're talking about. Amen? Are you? I'm not going to be judged by what's in the books. I'm going to be judged by what's in the book. And that's the Lamb's book of life. And the only thing, what I'm going to be judged by there is is his name. Look it up. G-A-U-S. Yeah, that's him right there. Jason Gospel, he's there. I don't have to get judged by what's in the books. Because I've confessed it. And it's not there. Those hidden things are going to be shouted from the rooftops. But what I've confessed to him, he's forgotten and he doesn't bring it up. Amen? Now, real quick, just because... I'm like John. I don't like to skip things. So let's quickly breeze through the next section of Hosea 2. 5 through 9 says, For their mother played the harlot... She that conceived them hath done shamefully, for she said, I will go after my lovers. They that give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, mine oil and my drink. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns and make a wall, that she shall not find her paths. And she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them. She shall seek them, but she shall not find them. And she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then it was better with me than now. For she did not know that I gave her her corn, her wine and oil, and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. Therefore will I return and take away my corn in the time thereof, and my wine in the season thereof. And I will recover my wool and my flax given to cover her nakedness. There's a lot in there. There's a lot that we could talk about. There's a lot to be said. For time's sake, we're skipping this part. We're, we're breezing through this. We definitely want to touch base on a couple of things. She gave credit for her supply to false gods and idols. God said, I gave you the clothes on your back. If you don't think so, I can take them away. God said, I gave you that food in your pantry. Don't think so, it's gone. I gave you that car. Don't think so. That was your starter. You want to go for the alternator? There went your alternator. God can do what he wants. And when we don't glorify him, we give credit to the idols in our lives and to the false gods in our lives. God is able to remove those things in the blink of an eye. That's actually going to set us up for what I wanted to talk to you about. Because this isn't it. Amen. I wanted to point one thing out. He said, she did not know that I gave her her corn and her wine, her oil, and multiplied her silver. The word there for her wine, all throughout the Old Testament, there's several different words that that are used to translate into the word wine. This word is tyrosh, and it means fresh squeezed. It's not fermented stuff. It, It hasn't been on the shelf. It's not a worldly drunk. Amen? When he gave her her the wine, it was the new wine. Because God wants you to be filled with the Spirit. He said, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. This wine isn't a worldly drunk. This is a Holy Spirit drunk. Amen. He, He gave her the Holy Spirit wine. He said, I can take that away. I don't know about you, but once I've experienced the Spirit of God, I want as much of it as I can get. I want as much of him as I can get. Amen. Okay, real quick. Hosea 2. See, look, we're almost done already. Hosea 2, 10 through 13. And now will I discover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and none shall deliver her out of my hand. And I will cause her mirth to cease, her feast days, her new moons and her Sabbaths, and all her solemn feasts. And I will destroy her vines and her fig trees, whereof she said, These are my rewards that my lovers have given me. And I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall eat them. And I will visit upon her the days of Balaam, wherein she burned incense to them. 
And she decked herself with earrings and her jewels and went after her lovers and forgot me, said the Lord. Ouch. When he says, I will cause her mirth to cease, her feast days, her new moons. There's a, a lot there that we're not going to talk about tonight. But God had said in more than one place that when they would show up on the Sabbath day, they're constantly looking at their watch. You know anybody like that? Maybe you're like that. Maybe on occasion. Not all the time because you love Jesus. But maybe sometimes you've got other stuff going on and you're thinking, you know what, that game... What inning are we in right now? Does anybody know? Maybe I'm missing something good, and you're thinking about the game that's going on. You're thinking about what you're going to have for supper. You're thinking about anything other than the Word of God or worshiping God, and you're ready to go, and he said, you know what? I just wish you wouldn't even be there. He said, I get no glory from you looking at your watch. He said, they show up on Passover, and, and they're not there for me, but they're there for their own personal gain. He says, I'm sick of your feasts. I'm sick of your new moons. He says, I don't want your burnt offerings. I don't want your sacrifices. I'm disgusted by all this stuff. That <clears throat> God had put all that into place for worship of him, not to be some doldrum thing that we absolutely have to do because it seems right, feels right, looks right, and people expect it of us. He says, if that's why you're here, I don't even want you here. He said, that stuff makes me sick, and I'm tired of it. When you come into my house to worship me, worship me. And leave all that other junk behind. But that's not what I came to talk about. Um, he, said, <laughs> he said, I will destroy her vines. This is when the good stuff starts. It's, this is what he really wanted to show us. He, he, he showed me this while we were talking about it in Sunday school. I have to share this with you. I will destroy her vines, he said. Go to Isaiah 5, 5 through 6. He said, and go now. I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take, I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up. And I'll break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. And I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. He said, I will destroy her vineyard. I will destroy her vines. I will take away the hedge of protection. Look at Hosea 2, 14 through 16. We're going to get into it. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness. Speak comfortably to her. And I will give her her vineyards from thence and the valley of Acre for a door of hope. She shall sing there as in the days of her youth and as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be at that day, saith the Lord, that thou shalt not call me Ishi and shalt call me, that thou shalt call me Ishi and shalt call me no more Baali. Keep in mind what we said a few verses ago. He said, I'm going to destroy her vines. I'm going to destroy her vineyard, her hedge. He said, I'm going to make it a forest. I'm going to take that stuff that she's cultivated. I'm going to take the ground that, that she's tilled up, all this area that she's made, for her provision, this area that she's made for, to protect her little nest egg. He said, I'm going to turn it into a wilderness. The animals are going to feast on it. The hedge is going to be trodden down. I'm going to totally destroy everything that she's built for herself. Amen? He says, but I will allure her. Y'all know what that word means. Think about it. He's going to speak so sweetly. Come to me, my love. He's going to speak so softly. After he's destroyed everything that she's lived for, everything that she thought she had built up that was going to protect her, going to see her through her golden years, he's destroyed everything that she had, and then he's like, sweetheart. God is so good. He said, I will allure her. Go to Jeremiah 13, 23. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? 
then may ye also do good that are accustomed to do evil. Jason, what in the world does that have to do with what we're talking about? We'll get there. That's got nothing to do with what you've been talking about for the last hour and a half. We'll get there. Look at Romans 8, 7 through 8. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are of the flesh cannot please God. There's just too much. Go to John 6, 44. No man can come to me, says Jesus, except the Father which sent me draw him, and I will raise him up in the last day. He will allure her. He will speak softly to her. He'll draw her unto himself. He'll draw her into a relationship. I don't know how it worked with you, but in my life when he was really leading people to talk to me, to present the gospel to me, when, I mean, I had turned so many people away. I didn't want to hear that garbage. I don't want to listen to that. But at some point, you know what? He broke down my hedge. He destroyed my vineyard. He got me in a place where I had absolutely nothing and all I could do was just cry out to him. And he said, sweetheart, Come here. Amen. I don't know how it worked with you. Song, the Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 4. Draw me, and we will run after thee. The king hath brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in thee. We will remember thy love more than the wine. The upright love thee. Watch this. And I didn't really get this. I'm so excited right now. I was telling John, I've been so tired. I walked in here like this. And I said, all through the song service, I'm going to be trying not to pass out. But once you get up here and you get into God's word, you really start to talk it over. You really start to think about the love of God. And I'm so wired right now. It just, it'll blow your mind. Watch this. He showed me this the other day, John. I talked to you about it. He said, Solomon said, draw me, we will run after you. Did you catch it? Draw me. He said, when God started speaking to your heart, it was a one-on-one. You were lost. When you were lost, you were alone. You were a single unit out there by yourself. If you died, nobody would have cared. Well, sure, on the outside... We're all going to go to the funeral and say what a sweet person they were. Everybody's got somebody that says they love them, but do they know what love is? But when you were lost, you were alone, you were all by yourself, he said, draw me and we will run after you. Because as soon as you came, as soon as you accepted the call of Jesus Christ in your life, you were not alone anymore. You become part of the body of Christ. He said, draw me. And he changes right there. He says, draw me, and we will run after you. Because you're not by yourself anymore. You're part of the collective. Prepare to be assimilated. Amen. You're not alone anymore. God's love has changed you. It's no longer me and I. It's us and we. And we will chase after him. And then, look, he, he does it again twice in the same scripture. He says, the king brought me into his chambers we will be glad and rejoice in thee as soon as he welcomed me in and as soon as I said yes Jesus I was no longer me I was we amen I was no longer me I was we but that's not really the point either because Romans 2 and verse 4 says or despiseth thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering not knowing that the goodness of God leads thee to repentance. See, when he destroyed her vineyard, when he beat down her hedge, when, when he destroyed everything that she thought she could hang on to and everything that mattered in her life, when he did all those horrible things to her, he didn't win her. That didn't win anybody. That does not win anybody. But it gets them in a place to be one. Because the scripture just said in Romans 2 that it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It's that sweet call. Come to me. I love you. It's that sweet call. 
It's the goodness of God. Why does he do it? Why does he do it? Go to Jeremiah 31, 3. The Lord has appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I've drawn thee. He didn't draw her by destroying her vineyard. He didn't draw me by getting me in a place where I had nothing. He got me in a place where I had nothing, and then he drew me with his loving kindness. Do you understand what I mean? When I'm... Consider me like a sponge, not just because I'm big and fluffy. Don't, don't go there. But I'm like a sponge because at one point I was saturated with worldly things. I was so full, I was dripping. I was, I was dripping with worldly pleasures. I was dripping with worldly sounds. I was dripping with, with a worldly life and a worldly lifestyle. And I was just so full that I couldn't take any more. It's after he wrung me out. When he squeezed all of that out of me. Boy, that, that hurts thinking about it. But he squeezed me until all of that was out. And at that time, I could accept what he had. Amen? Does that make any sense? So why does he do it? He does it because he loves me. He did it because he loves me. And he did it for you. And he can do it for you if he hasn't yet. Because he loves you. That's why he does it. So the next question, obvious question, how does he do it? Well, the obvious answer is he's God. He can do whatever he wants. He's God. He can do it. But go to John 12, 32. Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto me. How does he do it? He sent his son to die on the cross. That's how he did it. He paid the debt that you couldn't pay. That's how he did it. He took those things that were your worldly life. He got rid of them. He destroyed them. And he was able to cancel them out because Jesus went to the cross. That's how he did it. It's not rocket surgery. Amen. So watch this. This is the, this is the part now we're getting to what I wanted to talk about. So we still got time. He said, I'm going to destroy her vineyards. I'm going to knock down her hedge. I'm going to turn it into a wilderness. I'm going to turn it into a forest. And then he said, remember this, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness. Wait a second, preacher. You just said he's going <laughs> to, this is good. He's going to take that place that she built and turn it into a wilderness. Why now does he need to call her into the wilderness? Isn't she there? She's in a wilderness of ruin. She's in the wilderness uh, that is her stuff destroyed. He says, I'm going to call her into my wilderness. Amen. Watch this. He said, and I will give her her vineyards from thence. He said, everything that she built up, none of that lasts. Work hard all your life. Listen, if you're trying to hang on to that bank account, God can get rid of it in a heartbeat. But keep in mind that he can give you a bank account from his supply. See, the wilderness that, the, the wilderness that she was in was a wilderness of destruction because he took away everything that she thought she could count on because she built it. She worked hard all, hard all her life. She built up this nest egg. She saved up her 401k. She's done all this work, and now she can rest easy. She can relax in her golden years. And God said, you know what? Wilderness. And he did that. Because out of that destruction, he can draw her into his wilderness. What's the difference between her wilderness and his? His wilderness is the natural supply of God. We said this in Sunday school. You, it really seems weird to say that something of God is natural to say that that's his natural supply. We think of nature, and, and it's not hard for us because the way we know God, we know that he is the one that provides all things. We know that he's the supply of nature. But to think of God as natural, 
We just don't. But the fact of the matter is that it's the nature of God to do the supernatural. So if anything is naturally of God, it's a supernatural thing. So the natural supply that comes from the wilderness that God draws you in is going to be a supernatural supply. Does that make sense? I know I'm going around about. I will give her her vineyards from thence. Now she has a supernatural supply from what God supplies naturally. Amen? And then watch this. He says, I will give her the valley of Achor for a door of hope. This is the hard part. Achor, the valley of Achor, it means trouble. It means I'm going to have trouble turning the page here. Achor means trouble. He said, I'm going to give her trouble for a door of hope. Just a few more scriptures, and then I'll be done. Not nearly hooked time. My brethren, count it all joy. This is James 1, verses 2 and 3. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. Romans 5, 3 through 4 says this, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience and experience hope. Here's the thing. How can trouble, how can the valley of Achor, that the trouble in my life, be a door of hope? And let me explain it to you. We talked about this before. This is how it works. It probably doesn't seem logical to you and me, but the fact of the matter is that when you went through that divorce, that was trouble. There's nothing good about a divorce. When you lost that loved one, it was trouble. It hurt. You lost that job. It was trouble and it hurt. You cried out to God and he saw you through miraculously probably. God's done miracles in your life. And usually when you need him the most, you cry out to him. Really, I mean, when things are going good, it's sometimes we don't remember to cry out to God. We don't cry out when we don't need. But when you needed him, when you were in trouble, when you were in the valley of Achor, in that, in that hard spot, you cried out to God and he supplied naturally with the supernatural and now when you get in trouble what happens you remember that that valley of acor is your door of hope because the more he's pulled come through miraculously the more i have to look back on in the miraculous the more i have to hope on knowing that he will come through again that first time it was a question oh i just don't know is he going to do it? And when he did it, you said, man, my God is good. Well, next time you have trouble, the next time you have a problem, you say, you remember that time God really came through? I know he's going to do it again. Now you have hope. See, here's the difference. Hope in the world is a verb. It's what people do. I hope I get that red car. I hope that girl wants to go out with me. Amen. I hope I get that good job. But in the Christian reality, hope is a noun. I have hope because I know God's going to do this. Why do I have that hope? Because he did it before. Because when I was in trouble, God came through. Amen. And now I have that door of hope. And it's open to me because of what he's done in the past. Hallelujah. He said, I promise I'm almost done. He said... Now, you will call me Ishi, and no longer call me Baali. Ishi means my husband. And Baali, real quick, lesson in the language. You know that word Baal, we all think? Every time you hear the word Baal, it's a false god, right? Generally, that's the case. The reason it is that is because the word Baal, the Hebrew word Baal, translated means master. And when those people were worshiping false gods, they were making those false gods their master. They were referred to as the Baal or the Baalim, which is the plural. Amen. So he said, no longer will you call me Baali. You won't call me my master. My goodness, is God no longer the master? Lord knows that can't be true. God will always be my master. He said, but we've got a new relationship. See, I may be the boss, I may be in charge, I may be the Lord and the master. He said, but you can call me husband. Amen. Listen, I don't know President Trump, 
But if he and I were friends, I would probably call him Donnie T or something. What's up, Donnie T? You do that now, you know, you might get thrown down on the concrete by a couple of Secret Service people. But if I knew him, I wouldn't have to call him Mr. President. I'd call him Donnie T. That's what I would do. I don't know about y'all. You might come up with your own pet name. I'd call him Donnie T just because it sounds good. But I don't know him, so I've got to call him Mr. President. Well, if you don't know God, you better keep calling him Master. But he said, he may, he may be my master, but I get to call him husband. And I get to call him daddy because I've got a relationship with him that goes far beyond the professional title. That's why I want to bring out this next scripture. Where is it? <laughs> hey, I got plenty of time. Stop that. Okay, Isaiah 54, 5. For thy maker is thine husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and thy redeemer, of, thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. Now, okay, remember the scripture where Jesus said, I no longer call you servant. Listen, I, I pray to God that I'll always be a servant of Jesus. But he said, I call you friend. I've got a relationship that goes beyond the uh, superficial titles or the professional titles, if you will. I don't want to call them superficial because there's nothing superficial about the headship of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 62, 4 through 5, and this is the last thing we'll talk about. Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken. Remember this one, Chris? Neither shall thy land any more be, term, be termed desolate, but thou shalt be called Hepzibah, and thy land Beulah, for the Lord delighteth in thee, and the land shall be married. Verse 5 says, For as a young man marrieth a virgin, so shall thy sons marry thee. As the bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. And Chris had asked me, I wonder why that word forsaken is capitalized. Is it on y'all's? Uh, we don't remember. It's okay. He said, he said, why is forsaken capitalized? Well, because here's, here's the thing about that. Before you accepted Jesus, you were forsaken. And you say, hold on, because we shared a scripture just earlier tonight when God said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And so if God does not forsake us, Man, this is a theme that keeps recurring tonight. The same thing over and over again. If God doesn't forsake us, why were we termed the forsaken? Anybody? We left. We weren't, he didn't call us forsaken. We were the forsaken because we chose it. When someone leaves this world and they spend eternity in hell... It was not because God forsook them. It was not because God didn't love them. It was because they chose to go there. They've been given plenty of warnings. They've been, I mean, come on. How much do we have to drill it into your head before you realize hell is real? It's not a bad word, it's a bad place. And that's where you will spend eternity if you do not get saved. Well, so anyone that goes there now, it was their choice to do so. So here's the thing. This is, this is the, the crux of it. Will you be the forsaken or will you be the redeemed? I think I'm preaching to the choir here. I mean, any lost folks out there? Back in the back, you. No? Over there? No. But the bottom line is this. Are you going to hang on to the vineyard that you planted? Are you going to be okay when he turns it into a wilderness? That's the, that's the takeaway from this. If you're trying to hang on to what you built, 
sadly, you're probably the forsaken. But if you'll let go of that, and this is, this is good for lost people, but it's good for us too. You may be the redeemed, but if you're holding on to what you built, you are truly, surely going to miss out on the natural supply of the supernatural. I would rather he destroy what I'm hanging on to to call me into the wilderness because he will give me my vineyards from thence. Amen? Praise God. So tonight, you know what I do? This is a a thing for me, John Morgan, and I must apologize. John saw, you know, John saw something. Maybe he received a call from God. I don't know. At some point, he came to me and he said, Jason, all of y'all were here. He said, Jason, I think the church would like to ordain you as an evangelist. Well, shoot, it seems to me like every time I get up here to preach, I go through a bunch of scriptures and I talk all kinds of mess, but I forget to evangelize. What's the whole point of having some fancy title if you're not going to live up to it? It's easy enough to be out at the restaurant and say, do you know Jesus loves you? But that don't amount to a hill of beans. That doesn't mean nothing. Unless you're willing to take the time to bring them to a place where if they don't know them, they can. And so even though I'm looking at a bunch of saved folks, you guys are here every blooming time I'm here. Faithful followers of Jesus Christ. If you don't know him tonight, you can. Now's your opportunity. Let go of your vineyard and let him destroy it so he can call you tenderly into his wilderness of supply. Tonight you have a choice. If you don't know for sure that you are saved, then get with us tonight and let's get you there. If you do know for sure that you're saved, what is it that you're hanging on to that you've tilled the ground in? What is it that you've built up for yourself that you're counting on that if something happened to it, oh my gosh, oh my goodness, oh, what am I going to do now? If there's something in your life that you can look at and say, if something happened to that, I would totally freak out. That's what you got to give to God tonight. For me, it's my son. That's my vineyard. If something ever happened to Josiah, I would lose it. Tonight, I got to give him to God. Let him destroy that ground that I've tilled up so he can take my relationship with Josiah into the wilderness because there is a natural supply of the supernatural. And now I'm finished. I'll stop. Come on, John.